And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. I'm Chris Thomas. Hey Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, dude. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing this episode. I think it's going to be a pretty pretty interesting one, um, though I, I do want to sort of issue a, a trigger warning up front uh, for, for people, um, given the, the subject matter of the films we're going to be discussing today. Um, you know, I you teased it at the uh, uh, end of last episode, we're, we're going to be discussing uh, slasher movies, specifically ones around... Uh, police officers and law enforcement mm-hmm. and um i want to give you the floor to, to to discuss the topic but i just you know want to sort of just issue people like you know horror movies for us sort of help us sort of contextualize and reckon with the the horrors that that stand in front of us in our own reality and that's if you know you can correct me if i'm wrong chris i think that's sort of the crux of what we're going to be talking about today but for anyone who doesn't want to hear it completely understand we want to issue that warning up front yeah, I I want to avoid being insensitive because I know that the subject matter, uh, especially nowadays, is is pretty inflammatory. Um, there's uh, a lot of animosity, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of things that are in headlines that are completely justified, and uh, I'm I'm not going to try and downplay uh, any of that. But like you said, horror uh, has a place in that it is reflective of society's terrors. And it, it, it does that all the time. Uh, you know, in the wake of um, the Manson murders uh, at the tail end of the 60s, the 70s gave rise to um, the, the Giallo uh, Italian slashers and then the slashers of, uh, uh, especially kicking off with, um, uh, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm blanking on the name right now, the, uh, the Christmas one. Oh, oh, uh, Black Christmas. Black Christmas, thank you. Uh, Black Christmas and then into Halloween uh, murders in a suburban environment where it's not you went into the wrong place, xenophobia, horror, and you get murdered. Now they're coming to the suburbs and killing you in your home. It's reflective of what society is scared of at the time. And I think with the movies that I picked for this episode, they were made within a two-year period in the late 80s where... There's a lot of history that that goes into that era, um, and you know I'm not going to give history of American policing or, or policing in general. Uh, I would suggest if you actually do want to know about that, there's an excellent podcast uh, uh, by uh, the Behind the Bastards. Um, they did a season called Behind the Police um, that extensively digs into uh, sort of the foundations of what built the current American police over time and what kind of laws were implemented and why. Um, that really sort of explain um, some of that stuff that's really relevant to today, but that's not that's not my knowledge base. That's not what I'm going to be good at, so that's not what I'm going to attempt to do here. I'm going to try and keep it 
entertaining and as light as possible, especially given the subject matter of these movies are, uh, they're slashers. Uh, these aren't dramas. We're not talking about Training Day. Um, right. It's, it's not that kind of examination of American policing. No, absolutely. I think, I think you know, that, that was so, so well-spoken and well-laid out. You know, I don't think we're, we're not of, you know, we are a... a uh, you know what what was our mission from our first episode like an infotainment podcast mm. like that's that's what we are that's what we are right and so it's like we're not we don't have this big like cataloging history um you know though we've you know read and listened to things such as that but you know we can't like totally contextualize it like you said these are slasher movies um they're they're exploitation movies uh, or at least two of them are exploitation movies um and, uh, you know, and like we said, like horror movies throughout history, time and place have always been a sort of window into our current reality. And so um, I think that that's the way we're going to approach it. Um, of course, you know, there there's certain aspect, contemporary aspects we can't avoid. I, I think especially with this very first movie we're going to yes. be discussing. Um, but, uh, you know, but like I said, we're going to we're going to try and keep it as light as possible. But, we'll, you know, we'll probably also be touching on some of those inflammatory issues. So like we said, just want to give some fair warning, but um, let's dive into it though. Uh, I'll kick it back over to you to introduce the films and we'll just get right into it. For sure. And I I think when you hear the title, uh, the first title of the first movie that I've chosen is the good, uh, which you, if you haven't already seen it in the title of the episode that you clicked on, uh, you should understand what we mean by we're going to try and keep it a little bit lighter uh, because for the good, I chose maniac cop from 1988 directed by William Lustig uh, the Bad, I chose uh, Shallow Grave from 1987, uh, directed by Richard Stiles. And The What is Dead Heat from 1988, directed by Mark Goldblatt. Um, so, Maniac Cop. There's someone out there. No one knows his name. No one knows his face. Oh, no. But now... The most terrifying man in the city carries a badge. Maniac Cop. This was a recent first time watch for me, I want to say within the last two years. Do you have any history with Maniac Cop? I mean, it's not vast, but I think the first time I watched it, I want to say it was like around 2015. Um, okay. Because they were all, or excuse me, three has its own wonky history that probably could fit a podcast in and of itself so we don't mm-hmm. need to dive into it but uh i know for a minute one and two were on i want to say like hulu this was when i first like watched them and so uh, i watched one and two back in 2015 and then um and then i've sort of i know i want to say last season uh they did maniac hop one and two as part of the last drive-in with joe bob briggs mm-hmm. um but i think i missed it um mainly just father life like i by the time i get into it like i've missed the first movie and so sometimes i just forget to like hop on uh so i usually have to watch them after the fact but um but i i did miss that one and so this was this was my second time watching it i haven't seen it in seven years now so like i said not a robust history but i had seen this movie before okay and i think you and i may be uh sort of on the same wavelength with it where i enjoy it 
I I think it's a I think it's a good movie. I think it accomplishes more than it set out to do, and we'll get into that a little bit as well. Um, since we don't exactly know the intentions of the filmmakers, however, looking back at this movie from 1988 from the lens of somebody living in 2022. They made some astute choices um, that are still uh, sadly very relevant to today. Um, but it it's a, an interesting thing to peer back into um, into that time and and then see what still sort of translates to today. And it made me think of um, John Carpenter's celebrated remake of the thing. Yeah, in '82, uh, being a remake of uh, was it uh, the thing from another world? But the director was that uh, Howard Hughes, uh, or Howard Hawks? Howard Hawks. Or, yeah, I think. So let me double check that. Make sure because I don't want any film nerds uh, like know, us to just scream at us and say that we're wrong. Um, but uh, continue on your thought while I double check that. Well, my thought was. That, uh, going along with with this theory of horror being reflective of the fears of the time, the original thing from another world being a movie from the fifties in the middle of the Red Scare, and you know the Russians are uh, among us. Um, Carpenter coming out in eighty two and making a remake of it at the height of the Cold War, where those fears are still there, but it, they've changed. They they they've they've mutated a little bit, and and. There's also, you could make an argument that there's uh, a little bit of, like, AIDS panic, or uh, especially with them doing a blood test, and uh, if it gets into you and it affects your blood, it takes over your whole being. So it, it just takes on some different lens, but you can see where it came from. And I, and I think that's sort of when I was watching Maniac Cop here, there are things that, or d decisions that they're making that are speaking to me and really relevant to me, but I don't know if that was their intention back in 1988 to be like, we need to call out systemic racism and the way, like, what that role plays in society. And it's not just down to the police, but then the public at large, the way that they view each other and they made their own caste system, turning around and basically weaponizing the police. Um, which I was like, I wasn't expecting to have, have like, any thought when watching Maniac Cop. Yes, it's a, it's a loaded movie for a a film that sounds like utter trash. Mm -hmm. Like utter gutter 42nd Street trash, which like right. the movie very much is. And I guess to close the loop before I forget, Howard Hawks did, he ghost directed. Uh, okay. He's not the credited main director, but he produced it. And he's an uncredited director and writer on the thing from another world. So you were you were right. We 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 were right. We were right. Nobody freak out. Nobody panic. Um, but it is a lot to think about for this like really trashy movie. And I think that um, it it it's I want to say it's probably a little column A and a little column B of like mm -hmm. I think some things were very much pointed and intentional. Um, in 1988, and I think some things have sort of just like sadly taken on a relevance, like an accidental like relevance um but it is hard to parse out what's what and and i think looking at the filmmaking duo behind the movie so it was directed by william lustig who who's known for some of the grimiest like movies to come from the 80s he did the original maniac he did mm -hmm. vigilante uh he did uncle sam like a couple years after this i want to say so it's like he he's he's done some very very grimy grimy dirty ugly 
um, slasher movies, but it's written by Larry Cohen, the late Larry Cohen, uh, who, you know, did It's Alive and Cue the Winged Serpent, but specifically The Stuff. And The Stuff is very much like, um, The Stuff would be like a great, like the B-movie, like, double feature counterpart to like Carpenter's They Live if you want to bring like John Carpenter up which we talked about a couple episodes back go back Mm -hmm. and give it a listen where it's like a complete and utter takedown of like consumerism and and you know marketing and and, Reaganomics Reaganomics and and all of that so I think like Cohen is was a sly enough filmmaker because like he never had a lot of money to do things and so it's like he always had to sort of uh, rely on like big ideas to to get the movie sold and so I think that element is there and it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's no more exemplified by the sort of opening scene of the movie, which is like incredibly provocative. Um, it's, and, and it really sets the tone for the rest of the movie to the point where it's like, I probably, you know, I'm like, you know, I've always been keen to these, the, you know, the horrible, like sort of, um, you know, underbelly of like police practices, but like, I just wasn't like sound of mind or cognizant enough in 2015 when I first watched this movie to really realize it, but especially rewatching it now where we're introduced to, um, to, to a woman, to a white woman specifically, who's, um, who's walking down the street and she's being mugged. And so she runs away from, from the muggers and, um, she sees in like central park or, or wherever, um, the silhouette of, of a police officer, what appears to be a police officer. And she walks up to him and says, officer, please, you got to help me. I'm being mugged, being chased by these two Puerto Rican guys. She specifically notes their race and she may or may not be right. That's just, that's the assumption that she is making. And so she's specific, like, but that's the key of the scene. It's not that she's saying, there are these two guys mugging me. She specifically says, these two Puerto Rican guys are mugging me. So mm-hmm. automatically she's basing a prejudice on what has happened. And then the guys see what's about to happen and they sort of hide. And this, the, the maniac cop, which we, you know, quickly find out that this is the titular maniac cop, picks her up and completely just, just snaps her neck, leaves yeah. her on the ground there. And, and the gentlemen who were mugging her, it's like, yes, they, they were mugging her. Like, we're not going to absolve them of what they were trying to do. However, mm-hmm. the, the look on one of the guy's face, the way the camera lingers on his face, how he winces and turns away as it's happening, is, like, key and crucial. Because mm-hmm. it says everything that you need to know about, like, the worldview of that experience of, like, okay, this is, like, we see this shit. Like, we see this shit on the streets all the time it happens to you know primarily it's you know prejudice largely biased against people of color so we've seen this happen many times before so it's like you see the the horrors on their face it completely flips the audience's perspective you know probably a largely white audience watching this movie of like oh like would you have done the same thing in the situation maybe you would have however look what just happened and like imagine imagine that sort of like prejudice and brutality flipped on onto like suburban whites and right. that's like and that's our introduction to the movie <laughs> like and it's powerful like it's a really yeah. like like really evocative opening sequence but the i i like that you call it specifically the look because the look he gives is and i think you texted this to me when we were talking about it is like it never gets any easier it, it's yeah. not a look of like 
oh my god, that cop just killed somebody. It's, uh, and like, oh, I've seen it a million times, and it, it every single time, it, it's just like, uh, it like uh, it hurts me on the inside. But like, it, it's not unusual to this man to see a cop murder somebody. And it's it's hard. It's a bitter pill to swallow on yeah. on all levels of the sequence. And again, r- reminder, like we need that like text th- uh, crawl that like in Pain and Gain where it says this is a true story. Like right. reminder, this is a movie called Maniac Cop. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Well, and because the movie it does dip into that grimy sort of slasher uh, 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 joyfulness, and it is fun. At times, it, it kind of goes off the rails, especially towards the end. It oh, just yeah. goes fucking nutty, and it it doesn't it doesn't have a serious tone throughout. But there are little bits and pieces that poke through that you're right, like must be coming from Larry Cohen uh, and and his writing to to sort of just drop in like, yeah, you know, we're making a a, a B slasher called Maniac Cop about an undead cop seeking revenge against people in city hall who had basically framed him and left him for dead but we're going to put in some actual real social commentary here something for the audience to chew on if they so choose and i that's what to me elevates it from being a a, you know just another run-of-the-mill like yep man with knife kills people around city yeah here we go again exactly there's there's so much more texture to this movie because it's like you said, I think the movie on the strength of, like, Lust is direction, because, like, I love the first Maniac, like, I'll say that straight mm-hmm. up. I love the original Maniac. I like Vigilante as well. And, like, the strength of his direction is certainly there. It's, like, grimy, but also sort of slick at the same time. Um, the movie operates on those sort of base-level thrills that you would expect. But, like you said, I think the commentary, largely coming from Larry Cohen, works. Um, but it's, like, sprinkled throughout like you said like it opens really like provocatively but like i wouldn't say i can't fault the movie for not having like complete follow-through on all of that or having that be a through line all the way through because this kind of goes back to your original point of like what was intended and what was not like i think something like that was very much intended it's shot and framed in a way that's that's meant to to get a rise out of the audience right um but it's like i can't I don't think that's that was the whole picture of the movie. So I can't fault it where you're like, oh, well then, like, because of course the protagonists, like, are also cops. Like, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. it, like, it, it's it's sort of an A-cab movie, but like not entirely because uh, there it, it's more like a, a mo-cab. Like, the, the movie's, the theory is like, most cops are bad. Yes. But like, it still has that sort of element of like our, you know, our lead detective who's played by your boy uh tom atkins who's tom atkins is everybody's boy i love tom atkins <laughs> he's great he's great and he's you know and he's had a sort of past of himself because his partner was was killed and um you know not long after it there was a sort of um uh you know it's insinuated that he tried to take his own life um his answer to that it was just the gun went off that was you know sort of sort of like where he's like i have to close the book and that's that but we've insinuated that he has some sort of ptsd um and he's the one who initially, like, when they're at the coroner, like, can tell. He's like, this wasn't those two kids. Like, whoever did this had, like, just just Andre the Giant level hands to be able to crush this woman's larynx. Like, these right. two young kids did not have the chance to do that. Um, so he, we have him as one of our protagonists. And then we have maybe the 
I would say that the one aspect that doesn't work for me, if we're going with the sort of societal commentary, is that, like, Bruce Campbell's character is one of the protagonists. And it's like, yeah. I love Bruce Campbell, but, like, his character is is a shit. Like, we're introduced to that. Like, him mm-hmm. and his wife are having marriage troubles. And, you know, that, and that's a two-way street. However, you know, he's sleeping with our other um, our other protagonist. <laughs> um, and so that, that sort of, like... Um, sits a plot in motion because his wife finds that out um and was took a gun to the scene to, to basically to kill him and his lover um he she ultimately doesn't do it but then she's she's murdered by the maniac cop coming out of it and Bruce Campbell's character is framed for uh for murder and so that's the sort of clearance of like well and and Tom Atkins you know hot on the case is like it's not him either he also has an alibi for this but they're keeping it hush hush because it would destroy the other cop's career which is kind of right. like i think that's my only sort of sticking point where I'm it's like, wonky yeah as far as like having to to keep your plot going and it's like i get it it's an 88 minute slasher movie like and i can forgive dumb stuff in a slasher movie like that i have many a times and i've forgiven yes. I've dumber worse. yeah i've forgiven way worse <laughs> than maniac cop so it's like i forgive it but it's just one of those things to point out because it's so smart in so many other ways where you're mm-hmm. like eh, this is a little bit of a wonky uh way to get from point a to point b but well and like they have to keep him in prison for you know x amount for like the plot to continue forward and so when he's talking to tom atkins he's like uh you know it'll ruin her career so give it a week and if they haven't caught the real killer then I'll reveal, like, who, like, my... And it's just, like, you're just gonna stay, like, in jail for... Like, you're a a cop in jail, which is, like, completely not safe for you to be there. You can just be, like, I was having an affair with this woman, and she's my alibi. I definitely wasn't the kid. Like, I don't even know why you would risk it. Just for the sake of, like, oh, I mean, it would not look great for her. It's just, like, you, you could go to jail for murdering your wife dude like <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it doesn't make any sense and we should also credit the actress because she's good in the in the movie mm. it's lorraine landon plays officer mallory who's who's uh who bruce campbell's having an affair with um but yeah it doesn't that like that portion of it makes zero no. sense whatsoever um and even again like i said a forgiven worse but even the like almost sort of mama Voorhees-esque way that yeah. uh, that our maniac cop is is conjured back uh from from a woman in the department who who was his spouse when he was still alive or or to be to be wed uh when he was framed and then murdered in prison and i can't believe we i can't believe we even got this far without <laughs> noting the 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 maniac cop himself robert zadar oh, yeah. um i would say inarguably his best performance like like by far um oh yeah like he he needs to stand and look menacing and has very little dialogue and he does both perfect. of those very well great <laughs> perfect just be be an imposing figure got it yes <laughs> but like but yeah that whole element of of his his revenge that they were like plotting it together is like that's goofy as well. uh, the conversation with the coroner who was like he was supposed to perform an autopsy and then found that he had a slight heartbeat so then he like gave him cpr to bring him back to life and then his girlfriend comes into the hospital and is just like just let me take him out of here i'll just take him home and his reasoning was just like ah he's pretty much brain dead he'll be dead anyway so yeah sure take this guy out of here and then i'll just forge the death certificate 
to say that he had died and I'll just keep my mouth shut about it. And it's again like, why would you risk your career over just some fucking guy like who's brain dead? You wouldn't like call a, a doctor to be like, maybe you want to diagnose this guy. Like, oh no, lady cop, just drag this guy's corpse out of here. I'll flub <laughs> some paperwork and I'll take it to the grave. Like, why? Yeah. He's a stranger. There's no reason for you to do any of this. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But again, I've, I've forgiven worse. <laughs> it moves the plot along, and it's, it, it, like, there's shit that doesn't make sense. So, like, what, he survived, so then he's a living person. But then in the movie, the maniac cop is just getting shot repeatedly, and he's able to sort of, like, Jason Voorhees himself out of uh, a, a situation where he'll just kind of, like, into thin air disappear so right. he's got like he's got some sort of supernatural abilities however we're given this line that he survived and he's back for revenge so it's just like okay is he like a maimed but real living man or is he a ghost of vengeance like there's there's no consistent through line to tell you what's going on however Again, I picked this movie as the good. I, it's, I, I'm able to overlook like all of this because there are large sections of the movie that are are very entertaining. Yes, there's some great like great death sequences, especially when you get into the sort of like final leg of the movie when he mm-hmm. uh, has interrogated the uh the, his like breach the the police station and he's just like taking out different cops left and right. And there's like a terrific car chase. There's a mm-hmm. there's a stunt that's amazing but i'm like oh god i'm so glad nobody got hurt doing that the the like the the window the, well the window but oh I was, no that was one at the end the one at the end where bruce yeah. i mean it's not bruce campbell but it's supposed to be his character is hanging off the side of the car and they drive it off the pier into the water in slow motion and he's like three feet away from that oh yeah truck he like backflips off of it and it's just like they could have hit that ramp like slightly the wrong angle and that yeah. guy'd be dead yeah, exactly yeah it, it would be it would be rough like but uh, i mean they got it looks it. cool it, it looks cool but i was just the second it was happening i was like man that is really dangerous it's dangerous <laughs> fuck yeah well and there's like i love the um there's like the guy who's trying to get into his his car at night uh towards the beginning of the movie when the maniac cop is just showing up and just doing his thing uh there's a guy like getting into his car uh, maniac cop comes up, jacks him up against this, the car, starts cuffing him, and the guy's like, "Hey, like, oh, this is my car. Like, oh, I'm sorry, officer. This is a misunderstanding. Definitely the kind of guy who has not had a violent interaction with the police before. Yes, and and, and is is completely dazed by this. Like, what is going on? Oh, this never happens because the, that wall of of disillusionment has never been broken before. That guy getting chased down the street." And then falling into the wet concrete that the maniac cop then takes, like, uses it to, like, suffocate the guy. And yes. we get a a cut to a couple of dudes with jackhammers having to break up the concrete around his corpse that is frozen into the dried concrete. is like, it's, it's, it's such old school slasher staple. Like, that's straight out of a Friday the 13th or, or The Burning or right. anything that's like that where it's like, we need to have a creative fun cool kill that's environmental that would make sense for some neighborhood late at night in new york city it it like and it just it gets it like it it gets that mood and that tone and that's one thing that we got to mention too is that a a large portion of the movie was filmed in la they didn't shoot all of this in in new york they filmed some of it in new york but Mm -hmm. they adeptly knew where around 
LA to go to make it look close enough to New York that you don't really question it. Like it's yeah. as I much it. as like Jason takes Manhattan. I was just like, yeah, okay, sure, we're in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it's the, where they shot in LA is more believable than like where they shot in Vancouver, BC for uh, <laughs> for, for Jason takes Manhattan. Um, but yeah, no, they did a great job with that. I mean, there's a couple other, like the other scene I wanted to call out, like that's also like super provocative. It's like, um, I think it's after like the second like murder where like the distrust of cops is like really starting to take fever pitch. And there was that cop who approaches that woman's car and she oh, yes. shoots him point, point blank in the head. And it's just like, like it, like also like a super like provocative image of just and like the the cop is like a young kid like definitely like a rookie so like it, it just makes it a bit more tragic of like somebody who's just starting on the job and they get shot and that's why I think you said that this is like it's not a cab it's like mo cab yeah I, like this this is a bad apples movie this, this is a movie that still has some semblance of hope that like. Sure, there's corruption and murder and, like, the, the police are not entirely good. However, there are good elements in there that, you know, are, are caught in the crossfire or they get corrupted incidentally because of these machinations. And, I mean, they're not quite all the way to the, the ACAB era that most people have found themselves into in, in nowadays. But I think, like it's a step in the right direction of like, we're, we're, we've left leave it to Bieber or Bieber. Yes. Like we're, we, this is Barney Fife is not in this movie. We, we have moved on to an era where we understand that absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And if you have maniacs and you give them a gun, it doesn't take much for them to do what maniacs do with guns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, some bad apples is the way to, to put it. Like there's a great, you know, Chris rock bit from, from the tambourine special from a few years back where he talks about like, you know, a few bad apples and basically saying like this. So he's like some professions, you cannot have a few bad apples. You can't have a few bad apple, like airplane pilots that are, Oh, they just didn't land that plane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I mean, not every pilot crashes a 747 full of people. He's like, uh, you know where it's like law enforcement is like you can't have bad apples but right like, but there are consistently and so like you said it's it's very much uh they're trying to have hope in here but it's also like you know that's mired in that it, it reminds me and you know we're, we're probably going to bring up lethal weapon with another movie we're going to be talking about but it reminds me of that line uh like when gary Busey tells mel gibson's character of like you know relax kid there aren't no heroes anymore um, and it's like, that's, that sort of attitude, which is a year, this is a year after lethal weapon. So it's like, it's very much like indicative of that attitude of just like, there are no heroes anymore. <laughs> it's so it's, it's bleak, but it is bleak. But like for, again, for a grimy slasher called maniac cop, there's a lot more like societal textures and, and interesting elements going around in this movie. It's, it's like, um, you know, we mentioned this in passing, so we should at least bring it up. It's like the it's like the anti Death Wish, like at mm-hmm. least like the Death Wish sequels specifically, where it's like the the Death Wish movies are about like you know like where like if you look at Death Wish three, where it's like a cartoonish like Looney Tunes <laughs> yes. like level, like everybody on the street in New York is out to do bad, and. Yes. Uh, one guy's just had enough and like takes takes on, on the line and this one the is creeps like, he's got to get the creeps cre- got to get those creeps uh which <laughs> episode coming soon to the good bad what near you um 
but um but this is like the exact opposite of that where it's like it's it's much more like gray and like and and that's what life you know this is like representative life it's just much more gray than that sort of like simplistic uh worldview that that you find in in especially death wish two and three uh first one's maybe a bit more murkier but uh Mm -hmm. again that's a coming soon to the good bad (laughs) so we'll save that (laughs) um i there's a couple of other things i wanted to mention first off there's there's a couple of scenes that take place in bars where some pretty um interesting conversations take place one of them is after i think it's after the murder where he kills the the dude in the cement um tom atkins goes and meets a reporter to be like you need to like the the city hall is is not going to do anything about this because they're not going to say that there's a cop out there killing people, so I need you to take the story and run with it. And they're having a conversation, and uh, he you know, tells her there's a cop out there killing people. And I wrote the line down it, where she says, like, who's he killing? Pushers? Hustlers? And Atkins goes, innocent people. And she goes, Jesus, a maniac cop. And it's like, two seconds ago, when you're like, a cop is killing people, and she just, like, offered up. The kinds of people like, well, here's the people that I would expect a cop to be killing, which is yes. pushers and and uh, hustlers, which is just like, I guess, like a pimp or somebody who sells drugs. Yep, those people are the are the people that are on the rung of society that I expect to get executed by police officers in the street. Oh, wait, innocent people are being killed? Oh, no. Well, and yeah. it's, it's, and she throws out the maniac cop, obviously, yep. you know, the title of the movie, but uh, Tom Atkins says something to the effect of, like, you could sens- sensationalize it better than I could. Whereas right. it's just like, that's, that's like the d- deliberate, like, choice to, like, okay, we gotta get people sensationalize the story, and which right. is also, like, really common now, especially, like, in the era of social media, because so many people, like, will retweet or repost, like, you know, inflammatory things based on a headline they read. Mm-hmm. Like they won't read the article. Yeah, yeah. R- RTFA, read the fucking article. Yeah. Uh, so anybody listening, if I could convince one person to be like, "Hey, before you post something, read the contents of the article first. Yeah. But, um, but like that's another. That's one of those things where it's like it was probably both satirical at the time and has also remained like sadly relevant. Maybe even more relevant now. Yeah, I I felt it was more relevant, and especially. Uh, the, that line is pretty interesting about, like, you know how to sensationalize it because me going out and saying there's a cop shooting innocent people to death or stabbing people or drowning them in, in cement or, or breaking their necks, that's not sensationalized enough. We got to get a tagline. It's got to be packaged. It's, we got to put it on a t shirt. Um, that's, it's so, it's so dark. <laughs> yes. <it is laughs> when dark. you actually consider it for a second. It is. It's super dark. Like it's 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 kind of impressive. Like in a way that that it's that dark. Um, in addition to to its sort of like like you said base level, grimy genre thrills. One more quick mention, and I don't know. Maybe I'll edit this. There is a scene in uh, later on in, in the bar after there's been several slayings, and uh, William Smith, and uh, I think I think it's Tom Atkins. Um, are at no it is it's William Smith and Tom Atkins are at the bar having a drink and there's a news report going on where they're reporting on the slayings about how they believe it's a cop and they're interviewing average citizens around the city and I thought it was really interesting where they interview uh, a white woman who is just like uh, like I, I can't even walk up to cops anymore I, I I tell my kids if you see a cop coming across the street 
like it, it, she, like her world is turned upside down by this notion that cops are dangerous. And then they cut to uh, a black man who is just like, I've seen cops kill. I don't even know how many of my friends in the street. Like, like this is nothing new to him. And yes. it, and, and it, it, it's so sadly relevant because I've seen, I've seen videos like this on, on YouTube and TikTok of, of stuff happening today of black Americans being like, yeah, we have been telling you this for decades and decades and decades that this is what the police do in our communities. And now you see it happening. And uh, like when, when, you know, George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or uh, they like people were up in arms about it, rightfully so. And they were like, this is not new. Like yeah. it, this is, it, it, I, I mean, I'm glad that you're waking up to it now. And so it was, it was interesting to see that in this movie back in 1988, that is just a, a straight one-to-one echo of the things that we've seen in recent years. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Sadly so, but brilliant, like that juxtaposition. And I think I think his line also, uh, you know, one of his lines, he's like, cops like killing people. That's why they're cops. Yeah, <laughs> is where exactly. He ends that interview. And it's like, oof, that's uh, <laughs> incendiary. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Incendiary, but there There's a point are there. cops who got the job for that reason. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, I guess the last thing I would say, because there's a couple other, like, you know, B-movie staple uh, uh, actors who show up uh, who are good. I, I just wanted to shout out, we haven't even talked about them yet. Um, we have Richard Roundtree, you know, Shaft himself, uh, as the police captain, the, you know, corrupt police captain who's hiding the, the fact that uh, Robert Zadar's character uh, had the fate that he did years ago. Uh, also hiding it is another, I, I forgot the character's name, I gotta pull it up here, which would be... Uh, Captain Ripley, Ripley, who's the one, yeah, yeah who who uh, uh, figures out that, or who basically fingers Bruce Campbell uh, incorrectly, but does. Uh, it was played by William Smith uh, uh, from Good Bad Sh- What alumni, alumni William Smith, William Smith from Champagne and Bullets. Uh, <laughs> still, even the, the couple years before Champagne and Bullets, but still, still has that voice. Oh, he's getting there. Yeah, he's he's getting it's, there. It's unmistakable. Where you're like, oh, there he is. Champagne yeah, I'm William Bullets. Smith. Love it. Love it. Love seeing him in the movie. So, but yeah, Maniac Cop. It's out there. Uh, like it's. I think it's on quite a few. Last well, not like maybe not it's a on lot of streaming. It's service. on Voodoo. It's on Voodoo for free. Uh, Blue Underground, which is William Lustig's Blu-ray label. He he mm-hmm. owns that label. Um, put out all the Maniac Cop movies out on 4K. Um, so it's definitely at least the first one is one I want to try and pick up someday. Um, mm-hmm. Blue Underground Blu-rays are unfortunately very expensive, and that's why I don't own very many of them. But um, that one I definitely want to pick up for sure. I, I had like I liked this movie when I saw it, but like I had a much greater appreciation for it this time out. Like I was I was like, damn, this is actually really slyly brilliant uh, at, at times. Um, it's an interesting and, little stew of of goofiness, griminess, uh, grizzliness that's packaged in a way that if you are a horror fan, especially, it's easily digestible. Yes, hundred percent. Greetings from Medley, Georgia, USA, where the most feared killer wears a badge. So don't get in his way, because there's only so many people you can fit in a shallow grave. Another one that's out there on a boutique Blu-ray label. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say I don't want to. I don't want to come in and, and go for the knees like we usually do on on the the bad pick. Is is we immediately trounce it. Um, 
but I can't do that with this one. Uh, uh, well, you could. It's your pick. <laughs> well, it is my pick, but it, this might get a little interesting because we ha- are of conflicting opinions, to some degree at least, where I I am not a fan of Shallow Grave. I do own it. I got it on the, the halfway to Black Friday sale from Vinegar Syndrome um, because I was intrigued by the premise of the movie. Um, so I, I do own it. But I, I was not a fan of the first viewing. The second viewing, I warmed up to it a, a little bit because I think I, I just kind of expected what I was getting into this time around. Still not a fan of it. And you are a solid, I think, middle of the road, maybe t- trending more towards favorable. Yeah, solid three out of five movie for, for me, um, for sure. So this will be interesting to get into. Um, and I'm wondering, too, I think, did, did you write out a synopsis? I feel like this one might warrant reading it only yeah. because um you know i know we we always talk and, and it's a joke at this point where we write out our synopsis and then we're really bad at reading them i feel we like we didn't Mani- do maniac cop we didn't but i feel like <laughs> it's well enough known a movie like sure. you could kind of get the gist of it but like shallow grave you know depending on what side you know we come out of uh, on the other end of this episode it's a smaller not as known movie so i'm right. wondering if we want we want to at least lay it up up front and then we can then we can mince words. <laughs> of course. So. And, and especially with Maniac Cop, I mean, just from the title of the movie, you know what you're getting into for the most part. Shallow Grave yes. is a lot more ambiguous. It also shares a title with Danny Boyle's uh, debut does, movie. Which so. is great. Yes, I love I love the Danny Boyle Shallow Grave, for sure. Um, but unfortunately, we're talking about the Danny Boyle Shallow Grave. Uh, <laughs> so in this Shallow Grave, uh, four college students are on their way to Florida uh, for some spring break fun. But when they stop off in a small town for gas, one of them ends up witnessing a murder, which derails their plans, and puts them in the sights of the murderer, who is the local sheriff. Um, which, it's, I mean, that's pretty simplistic uh, layout. Uh, we can get into the nitty gritty and, and the sort of scenes and the way that it builds on it. But I love that, I love the premise. I, I will give it that up front of, we've seen this before, and we've talked about it on the show, when we were talking about, uh, I think, Green Room. Uh, pretty early on uh, of main characters being sideswiped by plot and I I love that when it's done well and just when I read this on the back of the box I was just like I'm I'm fucking down for it it looks like you have a point though oh no I don't really have a point I was just like pointing like to like it was basically pointing to be like yes of same minds which because like I thought the similar thing when you didn't like the movie Especially upon rewatching it, I was like, I'm really curious to hear why Chris doesn't like this because I know you love the idea of a movie getting sideswiped by a plot, and this is a hundred percent that movie. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, to go a little bit further into that opening, because the the first whatever twenty minutes of the movie or so plays out more like a boner comedy, like yep. than anything. Um, it's four four Catholic school girl um, girls who are going on spring break. Um, they are being punished because we open on, uh, like, a lingering POV, like, sort of psycho piss take because there's a girl mm-hmm. in the shower and it looks like that she got stabbed with a knife, much like Janet Lee uh, in, in that Hitchcock movie. And then we cut to the four, the four girls who are, like, outside of, like, the mother of the... the, the I was to say Mother Superior, but like, <laughs> that's a different movie. Uh, but, like, you know, that... But, uh, like, the, the nun of the, the school... Um, and then they come out and it's like the girls all like 
it's the girl from the shower. She's not dead. She's got red dye in her hair. She's pissed off. Um, and they were basically getting revenge of her because she was macking with some other guy that wanted Yeah, tried to steal her date or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So, so they're called in the office and they're getting to talking to you and they have to write like a hundred page, uh, like essay about like what it means to be like at that school. And, uh, they're like, oh yeah, you know, and we're going to do community service because we're going to go take care of like one of their, uh, invalid grandmothers is what they said. Uh, and then they're like, where? And one of them slips up, says, oh, Fort Lauderdale. And she's like, wait a minute, like, Fort La- like clearly, because that, that's where people yeah. go to go on spring break. So that's what they're doing. Um, and it's somewhere in, it's somewhere in Georgia. It's somewhere in, like, backwoods Georgia that they slide off the side of the road. Their car gets in a wreck. Uh, it, it, you know, can't be driven. Um, so one of them needs to, one of them needs to go take a piss in the woods so they, they go on and, like you said, they stumble across a murder. The, well, they stumble across a sex scene <laughs> initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we come to find out it's the local sheriff uh, with uh, having sex with a local waitress. And she's pressuring him and badgering him to say, like, you know, I thought you said you were going to leave your wife. I thought you were going to uh, do this. And she's like, you were never going to do it. You were never going to do any of this. And she yeah, starts I'm going to tell your wife. I'm going yeah. to destroy you. And, I'm going to destroy yeah. your life. And, and then he, much like the maniac cop to the first woman in in maniac cop he like you know jokes her until she's dead um hence the shallow grave of the movie um which we'll get into but she witnesses that um there are two of the girls uh or one of the girls witnesses that is trying to hide two of the girls go out and realize he's law enforcement and this is like one of the best scenes in the movie i think you might even like agree with this oh yeah and then they realize that because uh, he was going to take her somewhere else from that spot to bury her though the woman that he killed so she was in the front seat of the car mm-hmm. um and they walk up and it was like hey like our car's broken down like can can you help us um one of them goes to talk to the woman in the car and quickly realizes that she's actually dead and then that's when the cop pulls out shoots one of the girls she shoot, he shoots her in the leg or the arm i think and it goes the, through her vest. It doesn't hit her. Oh, it but doesn't like, hit it, her. It, like, kicks her shirt back, and she spins to run. And then the next shot. Oh, and the next shot is right right in the head. It's, like... It's, headshot with a squib, and it looks yeah. great. It's fantastic. It's really, it's in really... in slow cool. motion. And like, it's, it's super tense. And, like, I think... I think... So, on this last rewatch, I took copious notes, um, and... I, I did that because I felt like I needed to justify why I don't like the movie. And I think why I don't like the movie is because it does things in an intelligent way to set them up and then drops them later on, but to to a degree where it's not it's not subverting it with anything. It's just setting up red herring after red herring after red herring after red herring. And so then I was waiting for something better to come along to replace it. I was waiting for, like, in I was I was completely not expecting those girls to show up and then the one girl to just get unceremoniously shot in the head and taken out of the movie. I was like, that is shocking and that is surprising. Uh, I don't know where the plot is going to go from here. And then from that point on in the movie, I never had that feeling again. Yeah, uh, I and I would I would grant that. Um, and I think that was probably, I mean, that was, I'm sure a a sort of budgetary constraint perhaps Mm -hmm. because, because I'd say even after that scene, the momentum sort of carries on a a bit further. Like one of them sort of escapes to the car 
and then sees the other two two women who were because uh, one of them walked to the gas station and then right. they ended up having to walk back because because uh, it's hu- opening day of hunting season so they put a sign on the door that said like we're we're out for the day um so like they come back and then the one girl sees them and she starts calling their name and then she gets you know choked out by the um by the 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 psychotic uh sheriff and then they go to the the station and then they try to open the door to get a phone out of there and then they realize one of them notices on the side that there's you know like empty dog dishes that it's like a it's like a rottweiler or some kind of like like shitty dog that's there and then like it's too late once they realize they sort of like bust the window to try and open the door and she gets completely mauled by the dog like and it's it's one of those sort of things where i'm trying to think of the movie i can't think of it off the top of my head where it's like the arm like is in there and we don't see what's happening but we can only imagine what's happening behind those closed doors until she pulls it back and i mean that happens in green room that's and, what, and, see, and that, that's what it was. That's what I was thinking of. Thank, thank yeah. you. That was the movie I was thinking of. I'm glad you also brought up. You already brought up Green Room, and now we're bringing it back. I was also but thinking yes. of IT Crowd when uh, Denim puts his hand in that tree and then pulls it out, and he's hiding his hand in the sleeve, and then oh, he yeah. keeps up the facade as if he lost his hand until they're in the back of the ambulance, and then he <laughs> pops it out. Like, oh, gotcha. <laughs> that works too. Uh, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, but. But you're right from the standpoint of like, because the deputy, sh- you know, shows up and and uh, you know tells him that he's gotta, there, he's there. You got to have a good reason, <laughs> and so he, you know, and it's like, and it's very clear. Like the the movie isn't sort of over in its sort of statements the way that I think Maniac Cop is, but there's certain elements where it's like, you know, the deputy is telling him like, how would you think this decorated sheriff would have been the murderer? And like, mm-hmm. like the Confederate flag is prominent in the office there, so it's like. Reagan's up there too. Yeah, there's a picture, a framed picture of Reagan up there as well. So it's like, it's not it like I was gonna say it's not exactly subtle, but I'm not gonna knock that because neither is Maniac Cop, right? No, that's not a right. pro- that's a, that's a feature, not a bug, um, to the movie. But like, it's very clear in those elements. But like, once they get locked in the prison, and it's like it does until the last 15 minutes of the movie. I will say it does spin its wheels a bit, where it's like they're just sort of stuck in the prison. They try to escape. They get back in it. Meanwhile, the sheriff, because um, there's a whole subplot of like the deputy is crushing on the woman who the sheriff killed. Um, yeah, because she he goes to the bar like, the, and by by the bar I mean the bar. It's the one in this t- tiny Georgia yep. town. And um, everyone is there apparently. Everyone there's there's like they're either out hunting or they're at the bar. Or they're at the bar, which <laughs> I, that's those shouldn't mix. I I don't think. Uh no, trust me, they should not mix. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, he talks to, to the gal there and is like, you know, she's late. Uh, she, 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 she hasn't called. Um, she never, she's never done this before. And so that sort of like raises a concern and the deputy wants the sheriff to go check on her. Well, meanwhile, we, the audience have gathered this information. We already know what's happening and he's trying to, he's basically trying to make it look like she like fled or that she like did this to herself like he he packs up a bunch of clothes into a luggage burns the luggage like trying Mm -hmm. to cover his tracks um but it's like that's i will i will grant you that stuff is like inherently not interesting especially because it sets up such a great like you know it starts out it's like boner comedy has a terrific misdirect you know kind of carries through that misdirect for another 20 minutes 
and then it doesn't really pick it up again until like the the final sort of plot threads start coming together at the end of the movie well and a lot of it is plot convenience to to get to a foregone conclusion which i think is what i found frustrating because one of the things that you didn't mention is when they're on their way down through Georgia, they stop off at a barbecue place and they meet two young studs. Yes, we did not. That are on this. their way down to Florida as well, um, and those guys. Uh, <clears throat> one of the girls in the car steals the dude's wallet and like his ID and his money, and is like, "You have to meet us tomorrow for breakfast," and then that's when you'll get your ID and your money back. And so, looming over this whole thing that's happening is we'll keep cutting back. And showing these two friends being like, I wonder where those girls are. They were supposed to meet us for breakfast. And, well, maybe they, you know, something happened to them along the road. And so they're going back. And so they're sort of set up as if they're going to be like a deus ex machina that are going to come and, and inject themselves into the middle of the story and, and somehow be saviors or become fodder for the story. And they don't. And, they, and, and it's the same thing when he shoots that girl in the head <clears throat> the other girl runs away to the car. He chokes her unconscious. We see him burying their bodies in the, the you know, titular sh shallow grave. And his badge falls out of his pocket. And falls right. under one of the corpses as, as he's putting it in the shallow grave. And so then the, there's these things that they sprinkle in that leaves the audience in a position where like, okay, now I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. And it doesn't drop, and it doesn't drop, and that's fine. Like I understand the point of a MacGuffin. Like you, you're wanting to misdirect the audience and, and keep them on their toes, but n the shoes never drop. Or in one very specific case, the shoe does drop, and there's no denouement. That's the end of the movie. The shoe drops, and the movie ends. And so, like, it's. Where I'm waiting forever to for that reveal to happen to then see how that's going to cause things to spiral out of control. How what's that going to inject into? What are, how are the characters going to react? Or like how are they going to move? What's the deputy going to th going to think? He's been blindly trusting the sheriff this entire time. What happens when that world gets shattered? And all of that stuff happens off screen while the the credits are rolling. And it's like if you would have cut out that that middle section. Of people hanging around in the jail cell and having lunch together or just kind of having a conversation when they should be freaking the fuck out and looking for an escape or doing something exciting yeah. in this situation. Like, in Green Room, it's people hanging out in a room, but that entire movie is tense the whole way through. because They're trying to find an escape. They're plotting the entire time. The walls are closing in on them. And th that same pressure isn't applied here. It's... It, it, it's it's very drafty in the middle. So then by the time yeah. we get to the point where a revelation should happen and we should be moving into, okay, shit's hit the fan, now stuff gets exciting, the movie decides to end at that point. And for me, I was just like, that's the stuff that I wanted to see. <laughs> like, you took all the stuff I wanted to see out of the movie. I, 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 have, I have conflicting uh, opinions on that, sure. personally. Yeah, go for um, it. Because I, I do think... Because I, I agree with some of what you're saying, and I disagree with some of what you're saying. I agree from the standpoint of I think the movie's incredibly pokey in the center. I think that mm -hmm. that that's a that's a I will not argue that. Like, and I think that because I like the ending, I actually like the ending because I like that sort of like realization of just like when you're in a position of power such as that, that you can just fucking get away with whatever. And it's a mm -hmm. pretty like dark sort of exclamation point to put on the movie. But I think that idea 
probably came first. And so there's a lot of working backwards to it. Oh, definitely. And so that leads to that sort of like pokey midsection of the movie. Because I will even say, I, I, I like, in theory, I don't think it's executed as well as it could have been. But I like, in theory, of the, the two guys that you're talking about, that we think they're going to be the deus ex machinas. I like that they're not. I think that's a great anticlimax to that, because you would expect them to come in and save the day. Right. And the reality is, like, they and they're completely inconsequential in, in it. Um, which... But it's like you also have to give them something else to do at the same time because it does make me feel a little bit like, well, why why even have that element in the movie in the first place? So well, Why have so much of it? Because we cut back yes. to them, I want to say, four times, maybe five times yeah. of them reading maps and having conversations about, well, maybe they're in this town. And it's like you could have just included one element or, or we, we could have just not seen them at all after that night that the, she takes the money and they're supposed to meet them and mm-hmm. then their car comes rolling in. In that scene in the parking lot at the jail. And then the audience goes, oh, fuck, that's right, those guys. Oh, shit, now they're here to save the day. And then if that's an anticlimax, then it's an anticlimax. And it still is just as effective as it was in the first time. But when we keep going back to them, you're... It's just, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way. No, well, I I understand. I think, because I do agree where you're coming from in that aspect of, like... I think they they either needed to be in the movie more or less, like in a weird way. But like they're they're in it enough, and it is a clear like you know, and, and it's like maybe it's because these type of smaller like exploitation movies that clearly like have an idea and have like I don't know are successful in some of it, maybe not all of it. That's this type of shit. I think I tend to like give more of a pass. Um, but I I agree from the standpoint of like they they needed to be in it less or more and but it's clear like runtime padding because the movie's only with credits is only 89 minutes long um so i i'm like if you cut out all the scenes with them uh like that we cut to i mean that's probably at least somewhere between five to ten minutes of the movie mm-hmm. so it's just it's just means to to sort of pad the running time out which like is 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 interesting as i think the idea is as um you know, sort of sweaty and and sort of uh, grimy, I think the movie is, and how I think sort of brilliant the setup of the movie is, and how the gut punch of an ending is also interesting. I think that uh, it could have, like, it just was clearly, like, a, a budget constraint. Like, they didn't know what else to do. And so, and it, and it shows in those middle sections of the movie. Um, and again, that's another, to, to use that phrase I already used, that, that was a feature, not a bug for my experience viewing the movie. It's like clearly your mileage may vary, as you're, you're saying. But like, I won't deny, I think it's really pokey in that middle section. It's not, um, and, and there's nothing really engaging to really add to it. But I, I still, I will go to the bat for the first 40 minutes of this movie and the last like 15 minutes of the movie. Um because, like, I did think, like, the, the other scene, like, where I sort of got re-engaged in it uh, to a certain extent was, like, not necessarily all the, like, rednecks finding the, the shallow rib <laughs> out there. Uh, but it was, like, but, like, when the when the, the brunette girl is, is killed in the jail cell. Um, oh, like, sequence. Like, hangs her? Yeah, where I was, yeah, like, yeah. that that was the sequence where I was sort of, like, that sort of caught me off guard. Like, I, I, I knew, like, you knew he was probably going to do it but like the, the fact is like i had no idea how they were gonna do it because like um that was actually something i felt was like set up and paid off pretty well maybe like in a subtle way where like um 
she says like you know tells the the deputy like you know don't leave me here like it's like i'm I'm a sitting duck and he's like do you think yeah. he'd really be stupid to kill somebody in a prison like still not believing her he's his his faith his his firm belief that he didn't kill them is is starting to be shaken at that point but it hasn't been completely shook so he's just like you know you're you're in the prison cell like there's no way he would do it and then the fact that he does it and frames it in such a way that would make logical sense to get him scot-free of it was like kind of added that bleakness and so i was like i was re-engaged from that point on but i would i will i will concede i'll concede yeah. to you the middle section chris for sure i thought i thought that segment was smarter than it appeared to be just because yeah I, the movie is already it, it 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 wore its sleaziness on its sleeve when the movie started with the pov shot trucking down the floor-to-ceiling windows of a sorority house as girls are partying in their underwear and in their nightgowns. And then we get a full-on gratuitous slow tilt down onto some major boobage uh, of some girl uh, showering. And it's just a rip-off, like a shot-for-shot rip-off of Psycho, which yep. I guess you're in the clear, Gus Van Sant. You didn't do it first. But the, the when we're when we're doing that, it's like, okay... You're already immediately telling me the kind of movie that you're making, which is like you said, where it sets itself up as this boner comedy, and then when it skews off, that was sort of a pleasant surprise. But in that scene, it looks like it's going to do the same gratuitous thing because it's like, oh, you're using this as an excuse to show this character's boobs. There's mm-hmm. a boob quota for the movie. You need to take her bra off. But then when I was thinking about it afterwards, it's like he can't just attack her. And strangle her or attack her and beat her or shoot her because then it very clearly would be that she was murdered. And so the way that he sort of sets it up as if he's trying to seduce her and and like he takes his shirt off first and it looks like it's supposed to be an intimate situation right. to where she doesn't immediately fight back then opens it up to where he can stage it as a suicide. Whereas yeah. if he had left any other marks on her body from a struggle... That he wouldn't have been able to play like pass that story off. So like, it's it's again little moments like that that shine through that are like there was some thought that went into building that scene the way that you built it. Right. Why didn't you put that same level of thought and care into the other eighty six pages of the script? <laughs> like it, I'd say forty personally, but yes, I would agree. <laughs> well, that's I was going to lead into because you'd mentioned the deputy. The deputy is my number one problem with this movie because it's beyond blind faith. That dude is brick stupid. With, yes, with like some of the situations completely rely on him being dumber than a shoe yeah. in order for the plot to be carried forward, and that became frustrating yeah because they paint and they paint him like that but like even even the way they paint because they paint him as like a southern good old boy you know mm. right like like a Boer luke duke almost you know, <laughs> okay <way. yeah. laughs> um but um or 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 cooter probably actually more accurately the 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 car mechanic but um but like they they paint him as that so it's like he's obviously already not too bright but like you're right it takes leaps in logic to where you're like too dumb too dumb even for the dumb that you've set up that this character is like so because he he does have a line where he says like we're so lucky to have a smart sheriff which is like setting up that like oh okay you're like third grade reading level uh you like you got the job because your uncle used to be a cop or something like it it it, like very much was grandfathered into the role but like 
there was stuff that happens in the movie that is 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 trope ish, and one of the ones I wanted to discuss, which I thought was I thought was interesting because it was trying to do something smart, but then it accidentally did something dumb. Was we when they blow their tire and they pull off the road and and they're like next to that tree, mm-hmm. they show them go to try and get the spare tire which reveals that there's a trunk full of luggage. They have all of these suitcases that are back there with the tire isn't in there. And so then later on in the movie, uh, the one girl has been shot in the head. The other girl is strangled and, and, and killed. And then the two girls are, are then arrested down at the gas station trying to break in to get to a phone when she's attacked by a dog. Um, so they claim, I witnessed a murder in the woods. Somebody strangled a woman. I didn't get a good look at the guy. And now our two friends are missing. So, you know, our car is is out there on this road. Uh, you can go get it. The sheriff actually goes out and gets the car and confirms that that's where, where the car is at for them. But then there is a, a reveal scene where they're like, well, our luggage is in the trunk. So then we, you should be able to look in the trunk and see all of our luggage uh, from our friends and know that they were here with us. And then we, like, cut to the sheriff leads the two girls over to i guess like the impound lot uh there's like a mechanic guy over there and he pops the trunk and the trunk is empty no luggage at all and shuts the trunk he turns around like looks at the two girls and then we cut back to the jail cell and so there the, the, there's no protest from the girls there's no conversation from that point on of like what happened to the luggage but then also the deputy wasn't present so there's no, there was no third-party observer in this scene that would have been like, well, that cast doubt on those girls, and now I don't know if I'm going to believe what those girls say from this point forward. Like, it, there was no reveal to a character other than the girls, but then the girls don't actually, like, do anything about it or say anything about it. Right. And if the if the deputy could have been there, there could have been an opportunity for to, to plant a seed of doubt in his head that flips in later where he goes, well, why was there no luggage? at all he completely emptied the the trunk out so why are these two girls on vacation down to florida for a week and neither of them brought any suitcases and so then oh we've we've inserted this little layer of tension by using visual clues that we've set up and paid off from earlier and it was like they do little things like that of set up and payoff that are done for the benefit of the audience to see it happen that right. don't impact characters that it's it just it was just growing frustration for me of being like you're very close to doing something cool or smart, but then you don't. And then it's, I just, I'm sitting here going like, you could have, you could have done something slightly different and made the movie better. And then just compounded and built on it. I, I mean, I, I understand entirely. We've all and again, had those... maybe it's me being a, a picky bitch. I do this sometimes. No, it's okay. Because I think we've all had those experiences where like, it just rubs you the wrong way where you're like, you know, uh, where you're just like, you're like, if you could have done this, you could have done this. Like the, like I, I, you know, I like this movie much better than the movie I'm about to discuss, but it's like this, this almost like echoes our frustration of, uh, of men, the Alex Garland's latest film, which mm, we talked about mm-hmm. on a minisode of like, where it's like, clearly you had that final, you know, 15 minutes or whatever, like in your head and you can, what a worked. final 15 minutes it is. Exactly. But you worked backwards <laughs> from it. And so therefore it's like everything in the middle is just like, what are we doing here? And mm-hmm. so, I didn't have that feeling with this movie like entirely, but it sounds like you had a lot of that feeling of this movie where it's like you have this a I- very, yeah, very you good had, comparison. You had this idea, and it was a good idea, uh, and it's a really sort of evocative finale, 
and you work backwards from it. Um, and you're able to get the first 30 pages right. Right, <laughs> yeah. And and the last 10, but somewhere in the middle there. Just it, it lost quite, its way. Couldn't and, quite and put again, it together. I do, I do recognize that I can sometimes be a picky bitch, and I do. Uh, you told me that of your letterbox mutuals, I'm f- like the the farthest lowest score. So <laughs> I'm I'm apparently the odd man out on this movie. So don't take my word for it. If this does sound like something interesting to you, go check out Shallow Grave. Maybe you'll like it better than I did. But for for me, it's my bad pick, and I'm sticking to it. I I think I'm I'm happy you're sticking to your guns, and and I'll I'll concede. It went down a little bit of my estimate re-watching it for, for certain. But I still think the movie is worth checking out. Um, and I think, of course, no surprise, I think the one thing we would also agree on is the transfer looks great, per usual. Oh, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome does phenomenal work, as always. So Please sponsor our show, Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> they don't have to. Uh, I mean, I they would don't, like... They don't have to, but I'm going to continue buying Blu-rays, and if I could get, like, a coupon, I'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Well, I was, what I mean is they don't... I, I guess I put the wrong connotation of that. I was like, by, by they don't have to, I mean, like, they're doing just fine. They don't... Oh, yeah, don't that's true. To. They don't need us. <laughs> but we would love it if, if so. Detective Roger Mortis has a problem. He's dead. But Detective Bigelow is bringing him back alive. Now, he's got 12 hours to solve the toughest murder case of his career, his own dead heat. All right. Well, speaking of movies put out on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, oh, yes. Because <laughs> Dead Heat was also put out on 4K recently. Yes. Um, which, it looks phenomenal. Uh, <clears throat> which I don't have. I, I did watch this one. Uh, I think this is on I think this is on Tubi. It is on Tubi. Um, but they did, uh, yeah, I think it was January. It looks one of the first releases of, of 2022. They, they did Dead Heat on 4K. And, um, yeah, it looks great. Um, but... This is your pick, so I shouldn't shout over you. Um, uh, it's my pick, but you had the synopsis for it, so I will let you read the synopsis for Dead Heat. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, let me read the synopsis real quick. Um, <laughs> it's Lethal Weapon meets Reanimator. There it is. You nailed it. That's Dead Heat. <laughs> it's it's like even as I was like prepping today for the episode, I was going to say that it was a. Uh, you know, a cross between a buddy cop movie and a zombie movie, but like most specifically, Lethal Weapon meets Reanimator. Like that is exactly the plot. It's a it's a it's a buddy cop plot. It's a plot where they're reanimating corpses back from the grave to for reasons <laughs> to rob yeah. shit. Like that's at least that's that's our opening sequence of the movie is a bunch of unbeknownst to us zombies robbing a jewelry store, which ends in a like really horrific. Uh, um dummy shot for yeah yeah it's great though <laughs> it's awesome uh, but uh so this is your your pick um i guess maybe maybe explain a little bit the the, the choices that led to to this one yeah well, so we watched this as part of our uh corn screen i can't remember how long ago it's it's been some time um since we watched it but the i know that this is a bit of a departure uh, because, I mean, at least the first one is a straight-up nuts-and-bolts slasher um, with some giallo elements uh, thrown mm-hmm. into it in action. The second one is a thriller. 
uh, with some slasher tropes, but it, it, I don't think it is a slasher, no. uh, not in the traditional sense at least. And this one is, like you said, Lethal Weapon meets Reanimator. There's no slasher elements that are in this one. However, I think for me thematically, uh, following the the sort of uh, uh, Lethal Weapon uh, 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 skeleton, I think is pretty interesting in comparison to the other ones that we're talking about, like where we were saying that Maniac Cop is kind of a, a I wouldn't say a, a parody, but it, it's uh, it, it's somewhat critical of the movies of uh, Charles Bronson and, and whatnot from the 70s, and uh, it's sort of making fun of those, where this one is still in line with those. This is still a Bronson, like, vigilante cop can go out and spray as many bullets as he needs to into whatever villain happens to cross his path. And that guy remains the hero. However, it, there is a horror bend to it in that our lead character, uh, uh, Roger Mortis, which is pretty on the nose, <laughs> um, played by Treat Williams, uh, he dies. That's like the, the main sort of crux of the movie is that he is is killed in sort of a, again, uh, Jalo element. There's a black-gloved killer that reaches in off screen and presses a few buttons, which traps him in a room and asphyxiates him to death. And so we, we're sort of having a whodunit element of discovering who killed Roger Mortis while he himself is contending with sort of his mortal terror as he's coming to grips with the fact that he is dead and there's a ticking clock element that his body will rot away in a number of hours so uh i i thought it was it's a departure however i think there's enough in common with the other two movies here that i wanted to include it because it is very solidly a what category type movie because i i don't even know how to really classify this movie no i i I don't really either and i think that it's it also makes a what if we're looking at this sort of holistically and thematically because if we're looking at sort of maniac cop as a oh even both maniac cop and and shallow grave you know you know despite you know maybe our differences the movie is like both of those movies are sort of critical about like law enforcement and like the sort of checks and balances and like what they can get away with uh, and what they should not get away with. And, and so those, those movies are overtly critical. And Dead Heat isn't necessarily that. Dead Heat, it's, you know, it's a New World Pictures movie. So Roger Corman's production company in the 80s. Um, the movie's main concern is, okay, what if a buddy cop movie and a zombie movie collided together? And they sort of play it like that. And in true Roger Corman fashion, you know, he doesn't skimp on the look. Like, you know, he'll get the best people for the smallest budget that he can make. Um, so it's like, they, they don't skimp on the set pieces. The set pieces in the movie look freaking fantastic. There are a lot of fun, oh, yeah. which we'll get into. Um, you know, you know, we already mentioned Lethal Weapon. They're like, okay, well we can't get Shane Black to write it. So why don't we get Terry Black, who is <laughs> Shane Black's brother? Um, true story. So yep. who's the screenwriter of this movie? Um, you know, if they're, we're looking at other popular buddy cop movies like 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. Well, we can't get Eddie Murphy, but we could get his... SNL co-star Joe Piscopo to be in the movie <laughs> so it's like they, they did the best they could with the money they had and but like the, the the they knew how to stretch a budget um because the movie is a ton of fun there's a lot of great like goopy gore effects um and big set pieces big set pieces um lot of lot of uh, uh dead jokes i mean you already said like roger mortis is treat williams's character like yeah it's it's sort of like ridiculous by the end of the movie and and it's 
and all all under uh, it's 84 minutes too like that's the other common thing about all three of these movies they're all under 90 minutes long <laughs> they're super short yeah I, I i appreciate you doing that uh, you know outside of the torture <laughs> that i put us i put us through two two and a half hour movies uh, yeah last week so we needed uh, a we change needed, it in space we definitely needed it um but i do i i i stand by your your i i love this movie first off i'll just say that straight but i stand by your point of it being a what because it is it is an odd movie it's got an odd tone to it's it really weird it's really really strange um it's it's even like is enjoyable it like it moves but it is also like paced super weird as well mm-hmm. um it's really, it's just really, really uh, an oddball movie. But I'm still honestly pretty like confused by the plot and like, like yes. where the major players are and like what their relations are to each other. I've seen it now three times, and I'm like, I have like a tenuous grasp on who's related to who and where we're moving and what, like what the reasoning is behind some of the choices that they made. But like. The movie even kind of cuts some corners a little bit to get oh, people yeah. to the places they need to be. At. It's it's almost like they, like they do uh, like uh, even though it's more like the buddy cop formula. It's like they do a long goodbye or Big Lebowski or Inherent Vice, yes. where it's like confusing to and convoluted to get to that point because we have our because we have our protagonists and they sort of stumble into this sort of like conspiracy um, of of these uh, you know this this sort of scientific project of of reanimation this is the what sets it off is the um the the coroner or one of the coroners uh who is like an old flame or on and off flame with treat williams's character um when they bring in the bodies with like claire kirkconnell claire kirkconnell yes thank you um because they bring in the bodies from the jewelry store heist from the beginning of the movie and she's like uh she's like they've been here before like they, they've i've seen these bodies come through the morgue um, well, they have the they have like the incision line like down the sternum, so like yes. they've been autopsied. They've been autopsied, um, and so she's like, okay, this doesn't like check out right, and so that brings them to, um, you know, to this like like observatory almost uh, or conservatory where they're doing these um, like experiments, and then like you said, that's where the black glove killer comes into play. Um, there's an asphyxiation room. That, there's also like the dog room, so it's like they're testing mm-hmm. this on animals. Um, which I guess is a, probably a greater societal point because they do that with makeup and like all the horrible like things they do for animal testing, and um, that kills Treat Williams' character. They put him into that machine. They type in all the information. Uh, he comes back alive. He's like, I feel great. I feel better than I ever have. But then they put the stethoscope to him, and it's like you're not getting a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to sort of find out through a con- like I said, a convoluted series of events what is going on uh they team up with a woman who works at this sort of like conservatory who sort of like doles out in a one of the better gore scenes of the movie essentially like what like why she got in with them and essentially that she she's like i i because she tells i forgot what she tells them but like it's a lie where she's basically like i i i was dead and they promised me that they would they would keep you know sort of reanimating me as long as i did this um, right. But then the t- but then that's when we learn about the ticking clock element because she decomposes and she like rots in front of him and right. it's awesome it yeah. looks re- like watching her hand where like her fingernails turn black and the skin starts to split and you can see like the veins turn like purple as blood coagulates yes it looks really good it's super good it it, it so much so many of the effects are really good there's like a scene where they they're like at a farm 
where there's like these like <laughs> diseased zombified pigs oh, that they yeah, get yeah, into, yeah. which is super. It was just like super like goopy, but it's like it. That's really well done. Um, and God, I I I I thought it's it it's so bad that it almost comes around to being entertaining again. I thought like Joe Piscopo was going to just grind my last nerve the first time I saw this movie because he's, <laughs> he is just riffing up a storm. Like he's just throwing one liner, every, one liner, everything at the wall. And I don't think they cut any of them. I think these, no. these are all like the, the one liners. They kept every single one of them in the movie. These are all Piscopo originals. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, which is, it's it's funny. Even in an eighty, maybe that's why the the structure is so wonky. Even eighty four minutes, they just they couldn't they couldn't cut Piscopo riffing. They're like, just keep nope. going. <laughs> just, don't, don't one more take. Let's go. <laughs> and he's just like mugging for the camera the entire time, much like he did on his days of SNL. Like, which is why he didn't really have much of a movie career. I'm sorry. I mean, it just <laughs> is what it is. But uh, but like he, he but it works. Like it, it almost comes around because I think that even by the end of the day as sort of grating as some of those one-liners get or goofy as they get, I think the chemistry between him and Treat Williams is, is there. And that's like, that's like rule number one for like a buddy cop movie. It's like your chemistry has to be good between your two leads. If your chemistry sucks, like you're going to have a hard time fighting. Like you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Um, Right. So it's like, they have great chemistry. So that, that helps. Uh, I think that helps a lot of experience. And Treat Williams, of course, is just a sturdy character actor who's just like a professional. And so like, they, 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 despite, and, and it works. One's a straight man. One's the guy, you know, cracking wise. So it's like, yeah. Horn dog. Uh, like yes. Hothead, it kind of, it's not, it's not Riggs and Murtaugh. Like it's no. not that relationship, but they, they definitely, I, they do play off each other very well. I think, the majority of Joe Piscopo's lines probably don't land for me no. in the comedic sense, uh, or like not in the comedic sense that he intended them to be. Like some of them are funny, but but mostly me just being like, "What the fuck are you yeah. talking about, Joe Piscopo?" Yeah, well, that's the thing. They're they're, they're like almost what worthy lines in and of themselves, where it's right. just like you know, oh, we'll drown it in a one sauce. Like, Maybe we could drown it in a one sauce. Like, could have thought of a better moment, but like, but I, I think it's that similar. Like, uh, it's almost like. It's almost like the adventures of Ford Fairlane, where, like, mm. um, from, like, you know, the riffing, like, your mileage may vary, but, like, Dice is good enough of an actor where, like, it carries it through versus, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say Piscopo is good enough an actor, but the, but the chemistry is strong enough between treat Williams, who is a much better actor oh, yeah. that it, it kind of, that it carries it, that it carries it through. And it's a movie called dead heat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah you're like you, uh, you can't it's the same same thing we said about maniac cop is it like you know what you're getting into when you're coming into the movie you're not going to expect it you, you can't expect a lethal weapon or you're going to be no. disappointed i think the movie goes like the movie there's an expectation bar with a movie like this and it well like you said it doesn't hit like the lethal weapon bar but i think it exceeds the bar of like what you would expect the movie to be, oh, sure. and that, and because of that, the movie works well enough. Even from just a straight like production elements, like they're like we're talking about set pieces. There's a set piece later on in the movie, and this is one I will, I'll avoid getting into like ending spoilers because I do think that this is something that's fun to watch, and yes. so I don't want to spoil, especially those. with a group of people like this. Yes, of these three movies, like this is a. This is a fun movie. Like, like it's, oh, yeah. a, it's a fun movie, and it's worth watching with a group of people. Yeah, uh, yeah, wholeheartedly agree. But 
the there's a scene towards the end where uh, there's like an out of control car uh, yes. that doesn't have a driver that's pushed down a hole or like down a hill and like into oncoming traffic and and like the way it's you know shot you know fairly practically where it's not it's not Friedkin level where there's civilian cars on the road but the the it's a car that's like bouncing off other cars and heading downhill and there's a great explosion in the scene like the the set pieces in this movie the same as what we're talking about a maniac cop where there are big time like set pieces and stunts that happen that are to a degree much higher than you would expect out of this type of movie yeah no absolutely i'm glad you pointed out that sequence because that was another one I wanted to highlight of that, like that car. Like it was not even a car chase. It's just a, like you said, an out of control car, but it's, it's incredibly well done. And I would agree on ending spoilers because the ending is genuinely the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's it's so good. It's so good. The, the, the comeuppance is fantastic. So like I said, I, I, I want people to see it. I will say the only thing I will like moderately spoil, um, and it's not really a spoiler because his name's in the opening credits. Is we get a get a last minute appearance by a, a late period Vincent Price mm-hmm. uh, performance, uh, who's who's great, great to see. He him. gets a long monologue, which is 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 great as, as somebody who like I love the old Vincent Price movies, the, yeah. the old like black and white like Vincent Price movies, and his his voice is so iconic for classic horror that. They gave him just this long scene of him dropping expository dialogue on, on these people in this room. But, like, you could totally tell it was just like, oh, we got Vincent Price? Okay, we need to write a three-minute scene where Vincent Price just talks about shit. Yes. And I, and I was just like, I'm here for it. This is yeah, great. Talk all you want. Like, he's he's earned it at that point. Yeah, or, like, specifically, we got Vincent Price. Probably even further, we got Vincent Price for an afternoon. <laughs> so Right, <it's>, yes. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta squeeze every single ounce out of this guy. Shoot every bit of coverage we can. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set up four cameras and get this monologue from each angle. <laughs> so. Well, and I also want to call out, we, we get a a sort of heel turn um a a great dick jones portrayal uh mm-hmm. by uh darren mcgavin which you know a, as somebody who grew up watching a christmas story uh every season uh, i still try and watch it uh, every christmas time watching the dad from a christmas story be some like uh one percenter uh asshole uh rich murderous villain guy like dick jones and robocop or or uh uh uh, God, who was the uh, who was the villain in, in Total Recall? Oh, we've talked about Richter. this. Co- Cohagen. Cohagen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's basically Cohagen in this movie of leading our characters along, but he's like uh, doing this murderous shit in the background for his own uh, uh, you know political and, and financial gain. Um, it's I can't take it seriously because every time I see him come up on screen, I just in my brain I go Fred Chile. <laughs> Bumpus says, but it's, it's great. Cause like he's, he's also not playing it super straight. Like, no, he knows the kind of movie that he's in. And so like, there's a bit of like a giddiness to his evil that he's, he's throwing into it that yeah, the movie, the movie knows what it is. It stays lighthearted in the places that it needs to be lighthearted. It has great big set pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I, it is a what movie for for me? I, I think it's like weird and wobbly and wonky enough to where it's like it, I I don't think it's 
straight up just like a good movie. I don't think it nails everything or like it's on every cylinder, but for the type of movie that it is and that it's set out to be, um, home run. Yeah. No, I think I couldn't say it better uh, myself. I, I have two things to add and then, and then I'm done. Uh, number one, you know he's a villain the second he shows up on screen as well to kind of oh, yeah. tie into what you're saying about him <laughs> relishing in his villain villainy. Like it's a heel turn, but like not really because the second like he starts, you're like, yeah, okay, you're you're behind. We don't know where we're going yet, but you're behind this somehow. Yeah, you are. You're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he shows up before the before Treat Williams is killed too. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're introduced to him in that scene at the morgue. We are. Because he comes up and says, like, she's great, but, like, she'll get there, but she's not, like, like her... I, like, I don't remember the line he says, but basically it's sort of, like... It's, like, a backhand compliment saying that, it's like, she's she's a great mortician, but, like, uh, like sort of dismissing it as in, like, hush-hush, sweep it under the rug sort of, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And he, com- he comes in walking into a morgue wearing, like, uh, wearing a suit, like a... a a sleek colored suit, but it's kind of like poorly fitting suit and a bad hair piece. Yes. And in the middle of this monologue of her being like, I know these guys. I performed an autopsy on them. They've been here before. And then he comes through, like strolling through the door. We're like, oh, nonsense. Nothing like that has ever happened. And you're just like, you are you are the villain. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the movie is not hurt because of it. Like, it, no, from, not at all. from the get go, you know that he's the villain, but like, there's no heel turn that happens later where they try and pull a fast one on the audience. It's fr- like in your face what it is. And I think that's something that I appreciate about the movie is that unlike Shallow Grave, it doesn't try and pull out a bunch of red herrings or MacGuffins. We're going to lead you that way. We're going to lead you this way. They're like, nope. Cop dies, but he's not actually dead. Uh, and then he just goes and does some weird wild shit. And there's yep. like some nefarious people pulling some strings. Have fun. No, it's a fair... That's a fair way to put it. I was going to say the last thing is, you know, you mentioned uh, about this, you know, not like being more of a fun movie than, than a good movie. And it's like weird and wild. Um, and, and I feel like the, the sort of ticking clock element of the decomposing corpses is almost like a metaphor for the movie itself. Because if you stop and think like the movie has to keep its momentum up before you realize how kind of dumb and silly the whole thing is. But yes. it works. But it works. It, it, yes. it makes it to the finish line before it completely falls apart. So. Oh yeah, and it, and it it's like eats its own rules like multiple times they, where they like introduce you know what like it, we are even talked about it earlier about whether there's a character who's just like oh well I promise that you know if I were to do X Y Z then they would like keep me alive and keep me from like decomposing or whatever and she decomposes in front of Treat Williams who has not once undergone like a re up of yeah. him so it's just like. Okay, what's the timeline then? Because this lady should be doing fine. Right. As opposed to Treat Williams, but Treat Williams is getting, like, shot and all this crazy shit's happened to him, but he doesn't melt away into a skull at any point. So it's like, they're playing fast and loose with it. Just like we talked about Maniac Cop, you embrace it, you understand what the movie is going for, and it makes it easier to overlook those elements. Uh, agreed, and and I think it works because it's the movie's a lot of fun. A hundo, yeah. Any a hundo? <laughs> any any other uh, thoughts before we wrap this episode up? Uh, not really. I, I I'm glad that there wasn't as much animosity uh, during the shallow grave discussion as I, <laughs> I, I feared that there might be. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I feel like we mostly uh, came to uh, an agree to disagree uh, slash consensus on on how we feel about that movie. 
Um, I also hope that we avoided some some uh, pitfalls and some landmines. I know that it's a very touchy subject, but um, you you can't you know not talk about things that doesn't help it well, yeah. <laughs> that you, makes you, it worse you you can't avoid the the past because you need to right. you know you need it for, for the, the future so it's like yeah we can't we can't shy away from these things even as hard as they they may be so um but like right. i said i understand if if you know i get it i get it. it's a subject that people not may not want to dive into and that's completely fine but i think if we're looking through these through the lens of of you know being the horror like sort of exploitation movies that they are and how well some of them do you know to touch on and are still like scarily relevant uh today i mean i think like I think that's worth I think that's worth reckoning with for sure. Right. Especially in the case of Maniac Cop, which is a, a straight up really good movie. Like warts and all, I think like like I if any if anybody takes anything away from this episode, yes, Dead Heat is a blast. You should hundred percent watch it with people, but Maniac Cop is good and, and surprisingly more sharper than uh than you would think. You would think you would get from a movie called Maniac Cop. Yeah, exactly. It's honestly shocking. Exactly. Um but yeah, so let's let's start wrapping this episode up. Uh, we got to tease next week's picks, um, which are yours, which are mine. So we, you're listening to this episode on July 22nd. Uh, on August 5th, uh, there is a new Predator movie coming out called Prey. Uh, it is a, a prequel of sorts to the events of the first Predator film. Uh, it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who did Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is a film I, I feel safe in saying we're both fans of Mm -hmm. um so i thought in honor of prey we would look back at the predator series uh so we'll we'll do it a week earlier than the movie coming out so that way you can rewatch all the movies listen to us talk about it and then get ready for prey which hits hulu on august 5th so i'm looking forward to that discussion so in the meantime you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm google Podcasts, and many others you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the good bad what and you can email us at the good the bad the what at gmail.com if you're feeling generous and want to support the show we have a donations tab on our website and all donations go back in the show whether that's to offset the cost of running movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment our logo comes from michelle parkos and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at thochristo89 or on Letterboxd as C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with our uh, episode on the Predator franchise. I love this job, Roger. I love the power. I love the little badges. I love being a human target for anyone within sniping range of a donut shop. It does have its perks.